Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the Everything USC Podcast on Believe, the number one content network for professionals, the place to find a sports or pop culture show for passionate fan bases across multiple platforms. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? I'm your host, Nara Wang, and on episode 76, my fellow Believe hosts, Travis Reed of An Athlete's Journey and Believe in UCLA, is returning to help me recap the football season and preview the second men's matchup between the Trojans and the Bruins on the hardwood. Travis, it's great to have you back on the Everything USC podcast. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. If you enjoy listening to the show, please subscribe, download, and rate it wherever you get your favorite podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, TuneIn, and so many more. Or go right to our website, Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, on social media at Believe Network and at Believe Sports. For me, you can find me on Twitter at Narawang Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Find and follow me there. Travis, where can the people catch up with you, whether it's social media, regular media, whatever? Pretty much you can find me at Travis W. Reed, that's R-E-E-D, on Instagram, and Travis W. Reed on Facebook. I post pretty much all my social media content on those two sites. In the midst of those, check those pages that I have other sites as well. But those are the two main ones. The Everything USC Podcast is brought to you by Bet Online, which remains your number one source for all your sports betting this season. Everything from NFL playoffs to pro and college basketball, UFC slash MMA, and more. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at Bet Online. With live betting options, free contests, and live scores for almost any sport or game imaginable, BetOnline is truly the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite leagues and events. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your rewards. BetOnline.ag, where the game starts. As we record this on a Thursday afternoon, the second matchup between the Trojan and Bruin men's basketball teams this season is just a day away, and Travis and I will be getting into that in just a bit. But first, we've got to recap the USC football season since this is the first show I've done since the Trojans finished Lincoln Riley's first season as head coach with a loss to Tulane in the Cotton Bowl. Maybe I've just been trying to avoid talking about that game, which ended in ignominious fashion for the Trojans, blowing a 15-point lead in the final 4 minutes and 30 seconds of the fourth quarter. USC ends up losing 46-45 to the Green Wave, letting Tulane score the last 16 points of the game. The Trojans led 14-0 early in the second quarter, 28-14 at halftime, and then 45-30, but could never get the lead beyond two scores and fell apart in that final four and a half minutes. 
They got up to the 45-30 lead with a Dennis Lynch 43-yard field goal, but then the kickoff coverage team allowed Lawrence Keyes III to return the ball up to the two-lane 37-yard line. QB Michael Pratt hit wide receiver Deuce Watts for a 59-yard pass play down to the USC four-yard line where running back Tajay Spears would run it in on the very next play for his fourth touchdown run of the game. On the ensuing kickoff, Mario Williams runs frantically toward the sideline calling for a fair catch, but he bobbles the ball out of bounds at the one-yard line. On the first play from scrimmage at the one-yard line, Austin Jones runs up the middle for no gain out of a shotgun formation, and since that play clearly worked so well, Lincoln Riley called it again on second down, and Jones gets stuffed by Patrick Jenkins in the end zone for a safety. Tulane gets the ball back with 3.13 to go at their 34-yard line, trailing 45-39 with one timeout. The Green Wave is able to convert two fourth-down plays on the drive, which ended with an Alex Bauman six-yard touchdown catch that was originally ruled incomplete, but overturned on replay review with nine seconds left in the game. As you can tell, I might sound a little bit bitter about What happened there in the Cotton Bowl, Travis? How does USC completely fall apart like that at the end of the game? (laughs) I would say this, and you being an SC fan, obviously you know it all year. Offense wins games, defense wins championships. I think that if their defense was decent, they would be 13-1 and this year, you know? They were 11-3 and without any help from defense besides, like, getting turnovers. And I felt that, you know, like you can't lose, you know, 15 point lead in four minutes. I felt like they were point shaving. I'm like, what's going on? I think you guys, you know, the show. <laughs> I mean, it was unreal watching that nonsense. I mean, USC had two thirds of the time of possession in the game. They gained 594 yards of total offense, but they allowed Tulane to rack up 539 yards of total offense on 10 and a half yards per play. It's just ridiculous. I mean, Heisman Trophy winner Caleb Williams was brilliant. I wasn't sure how healthy he would be coming off that hamstring injury suffered in the Pac-12 title game, but he goes 37 of 52 passing, 462 yards, five touchdowns, did throw one interception. Austin Jones and Relic Brown each rushed for 61 yards, Brown getting into the end zone for a score. Brendan Rice, son of The great Hall of Famer Jerry Rice had a career day, six catches, 174 yards, two touchdowns. Taj Washington adds five receptions for 109 yards. Michael Jackson III, Terrell Bynum, and Kyron Hudson had the other touchdown receptions. On the defensive side, Makai Blackman, eight tackles, five solo to lead the team, forced the fumble. Four sacks by USC, Nick Figueroa, Shane Lee, Tuli Tuipoloto, and Solomon Tuliao Pupu all had one, and the Trojans never punted in that game. But you look at Tulane's quarterback, Michael Pratt, he only threw the ball 17 times, eight completions for 234 yards, two touchdowns, ran the ball 15 times for 83 yards. I already mentioned Tajay Spears, 17 carries, 205 yards, the four touchdowns, also caught a pass for 14 yards. I mean, you brought it up. USC's defense was much maligned all season, ended with two terrible performances against Utah and Tulane. 
is defensive coordinator Alex Grinch to blame? And how should he feel about his job security going into next season? We know he's coming back. We know Lincoln Riley's staying loyal to his staff. But would you feel that he has got to have a much better season next year for him to keep his job? Yes, I think, you know, no matter how loyal the coach is to him, if he has another season like he did last year, and especially the fact that it was going to cost SC games, their defense cost them games. Like you said, like SC was rolling against Utah up 17 to three, I think, in the first or second quarter. And obviously, Kenny Williams got hurt. But like I remember it was 17 17, and it was third and 17 because SC just got a sack. And then against Utah, the quarterback throws a pass over the middle. Dude cuts to the sideline, goes for a 60-yard touchdown. I was like, oh, yeah, this is not going to be good for SC. And it was like that all year. I just think you can't expect the offense to score 60 points every game or 50 points or 40 points. You know, they scored 40-some points in games, and they lost. And to me, if he has another year like he did this year, I think next year they might fire him. Or he'll be on the serious, like, the higher-ups, I feel, be like, Coach, we love you, but he got to go. Because after next year, you're going against Ohio State and Michigan and Penn State and all that stuff. We're going to talk about that future move to the Big Ten in a little bit as well. But to wrap things up with the game, again, I was not quite sold on USC getting the job done in the game. So let's go over the final tally on my predictions against my guests running tally all season long in all of the games my guest leading in to the cotton bowl was the great fox sports broadcaster tim brando so the players that we believed in i went with tuli tui pelotu tim went with nick figaro we both went on the defensive side of usc but Tuli Tui Pelotu, they seem to be not playing him as much as normal. I don't know if that was the plan or they're trying to save him, make sure he didn't get hurt for his future pro prospects. I don't know what's going on, but he only had two tackles and a sack. Figueroa, four tackles and a sack. So just by virtue that, Tim Brando took that one. And by the way, I should mention we were going double points on it to give the guests a chance to possibly beat me on the season. But in the game score... Tim, despite thinking that he might go for the upset, he ended up picking USC to win 41-40. to So he had Tulane covering the two-point spread, but USC winning a squeaker. I said Tulane would win 34-30. So by virtue of that 46-45 Tulane win, I get the points there. And then in our prop bet, Nara's no doubter was that USC would allow at least four sacks. I thought that Caleb Williams was going to be partially compromised by the hamstring injury. And in reality, USC allowed zero sacks in the game and still lost somehow. And in Tim's prop bet, he called it Tim's wave sack. He said that Darius Hodges and Patrick Jenkins would combine for five sacks for Tulane. Obviously, they didn't get any. So neither of us got our prop bet. So the final score on the predictions, I win 16 12 and 6 on the season. So, another season that I win the predictions game against my guests. I have bragging rights once again there, but obviously, I would have rather been wrong and seen USC win the game. So, Travis, let's talk about the SC season as a whole. Like you said, they finished 11 and 3. They were 8 and 1 in the Pac 12 regular season. 
Final rankings, number 12 by the AP, number 13 by the coaches in Lincoln Riley's first season at the helm. He ties the most wins by a USC coach in their first year with the Trojans alongside Howard Jones and John Robinson. Caleb Williams, the Heisman Trophy winner, Maxwell Award, Walter Camp Player of the Year, Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Year, and a unanimous first-team All-American. He breaks the single-season school records for total offense with 4,917 yards and total TDs with 52. Tuli Tui Pelotu was named the Pac-12's Pat Tillman Defensive Player of the Year. He was the defensive recipient of the Morris Trophy that goes to the top lineman in the Pac-12 as voted on by fellow Pac-12 lineman and was also a unanimous first-team All-American. Andrew Voorhees was the offensive recipient of the Morris Trophy and named an All-American by the AP and Pro Football Focus. The center, Brett Nealon, first-team All-American by the Action Network and was a Remington Award finalist. Kalen Bullock. First-team All-American by PFF after leading the Trojans with five interceptions. Nick Figueroa, the Pac-12 Football Scholar Athlete of the Year and a first-team academic All-American. So plenty of honors to go around with the team. And in the offseason, they've since signed the top 15 recruiting class for 2023 during the early signing period. Right now, they're a top five recruiting in the transfer portal. So things are looking up for the future, I believe, for USC. And if you had told me before the season that SC would go to the Pac-12 title game, they would go to a New Year's Six Bowl game, they would have double-digit wins, I would have been thrilled with that. It's just the way that it ended with the two losses to Utah and Tulane that leave the bad taste in your mouth. So does the end of the season changed the way you thought about USC season as a whole, and should it really? No, not really. I mean, to be honest, would you rather have them four and eight? You know, <laughs> is that what they was before last year? They were four and eight and losing every big game. And the year before that, it was Clay Helton had them as a basically irrelevant school. Now SC is relevant. And they have the number one player in all of college football. Caleb would have been number one this year. They just have to wait and be number one next year. I feel like with him winning 11 wins in his first year is nothing less than miraculous because it's really, it's really you have a whole lot of holes in your boat and you're scotch taping it up. You know, I got a hole here, hole there, hole here, and I'm just scotch taping. He's scotch taping his way. To 11 wins would really should have been 12. You know, you take away Utah at Utah where they lost by one and at the buzzer pretty much. You take away Tulane, right? And there are that automatically 13 wins. So I think it was a miraculous season. I just think obviously they still have a lot of work to do to become in the elite of the elite, but the fact that they're in the discussion is a big thing. So we know, obviously, Caleb Williams was just a sophomore, has to come back for his junior year. Jordan Addison is going to the pros, but they're going to bring in Dorian Singer, who is a great wide receiver in the Pac-12 already for Arizona. They're bringing in some other transfers. They're getting a great recruiting class. So what do you think is the most important thing during this offseason to make USC a better team? Is it the recruiting? Is it the transfers? Is it just coming up with 
a new defensive scheme, what's the most important thing for the Trojans in the offseason? Well, I think it's probably having a scheme and having the talent to make their scheme work. Expecting the offense to be as good as they were this year is a tough ask. You know, expecting Caleb to be Superman every game, you know, and bail you out is a tough ask. I mean, the schedule next year is a lot harder than it was this year. So the defense has to get better. And recruiting helps because that's another year like your first recruiting class, and it's not all Clay Helton's team. And transfers help because transfers can instantly help you. Obviously, you know, SC lived off that last year with Die and obviously not to mention Caleb Williams and Rice and just Jordan Addison and all these guys, you know, come on offensively. But they're definitely, uh, it got to be defense. Defense has to be better. Like They cannot be this bad next year. You would have to think that they're going to go hard in the portal and with any remaining high school scholarship offers they might make for the regular signing period coming up in February on the defensive side of the ball. So we'll see. But overall, I think you got to say the future is bright for USC football under the leadership of Lincoln Riley. Again, you talk about changing the culture from what there had been under Clay Helton, and it's totally different now. So we look forward to seeing what happens there going forward for USC, but a disappointing end to the season, no doubt, in Lincoln Riley's first season as the USC head coach. This is the Everything USC podcast on Believe. I'm Nara Wang. My guest today, the former big man for UCLA and Long Beach State basketball and a fellow Believe host, Travis Reed. If you want to catch this show, subscribe, download, and rate it wherever you get your favorite podcasts, or go to our website, Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, on social media, at Believe Network and at Believe Sports. To catch up with me, I'm on Twitter. Find and follow me at Narawang Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Travis, where can the fans connect with you? Yeah, you can find me. On Instagram, at Travis W. Reed, that's R-E-E-D, Travis W. And on Facebook as well, Travis W. Reed. And I post all my social media on both of those sites. This is Spencer Tillman, Fox Sports, college football analyst and former Super Bowl champion with the San Francisco 49ers. You're listening to the Everything USC podcast with Nara Wang on the Believe Network. And since I've got the former Bruin big man here on the show, Travis Reed, we've got a big matchup between our alma maters coming up on Thursday, USC against UCLA at the Galen Center, the number eight ranked by AP and number seven by the coaches, UCLA Bruins coming in at 17 and three overall, eight and one in the Pac-12, good for first in the conference. USC is unranked, 14-6 overall, 6-3 in conference, tied for third with Arizona and Arizona State. The game will be at 6 p.m. You can catch it on ESPN2 or on the Trojans Radio Network flagship station KABC, 790 AM. The Trojans have lost three in a row in the series, but had won the previous five straight. That record there coincides with the tenure of UCLA head coach Mick Cronin. Andy Enfield is 10-13 and 
against the Bruins in his 10 seasons after starting 0-5 himself in the series. The last game was January 5th, earlier this month, at Pauley Pavilion, a 60-58 UCLA win. The Bruins had a 44-26 lead at halftime. The Trojans then managed to hold UCLA scoreless for an eight-and-a-half-minute stretch during the second half, but only had 11 points themselves during that stretch and was still trailing by five. USC finally tied the game at 56, with a minute 23 left to go when Harrison Hornery hit one out of two free throws. And then the Trojans take a two-point lead with 32 seconds left on a tough jumper in the lane by Reese Dixon Waters. But UCLA took the lead right back on a wide-open Jalen Clark three after he had just missed a wide-open three, but David Singleton got the offensive rebound to give him a second chance. Boogie Ellis, who had failed to block out Singleton on that possession, was then called for an illegal screen on the next SC possession. Singleton makes one out of two free throws to give the Trojans a chance at the end of the game on their final possession, but Ellis misses a baseline jumper to end the game. Reese Dixon Waters was incredible, leading USC with 16 points on seven of seven field goal shooting. He basically dragged the Trojans back into the game on the offensive side. For UCLA, Clark, Singleton, and Jaime Jaquez all scored in double figures. And when I was watching that game, I remember texting you that oh, this game is over at halftime. There's just no way unless UCLA decides to mess around and let USC back into it. And that's kind of what happened. I mean, you can give USC credit for playing hard on defense. And they didn't play horrible defense necessarily in the first half. But the offense for USC was pretty miserable. They finally did enough to take a lead, and then they blow it on the last few possessions of the game. What were your thoughts about that first meeting of the season between USC and UCLA? Well, I could say it was the tell of two halves. I felt like, you know, UCLA played good in the first half. You know, they were up 16 points, and they thought, you know, oh, yeah, we were up 16 points, and then literally it just could not score in the second half. They scored 16 points. That's with the three-pointer and a foul at the buzzer. I mean, three-pointer at the you know, end of the shot clock and a free throw at the end of the game. So really, they only scored 12 points was it through 19 minutes. I thought that the game was, like I said, it got back and forth. And like you said, give props to SC for coming back because it could have laid down and ended up losing by 20 or 30. But yeah, UCLA played awful, I thought, in that second half. And they barely escaped the win, you know. And we'll see what happens. I think SC... Here's what, you know, we discussed this earlier, that SC can say, okay, we should have won that game. We could have won that game. And if they beat UCLA tomorrow, they can say, you know, we swept UCLA twice, essentially. So I think SC should come into the game confident. And last game should prove that, look, we can beat them. We can handle We can hang with them, even if we're not ranked in their number seven in the country. What do you think is closer to the truth? The first half of that game when UCLA dominated or the second half when USC's defense was incredible? I would definitely say that it's probably a little bit a little bit of both. I don't think UCLA is that much better than SC as they did in the first half. And I don't think UCLA can play that bad again in the second half. 
So a little bit of both. I think, you know, SC, they present problems for UCLA because Tiger's a little guard. And the point guard for SC is like 6'4". So I think SC presents problems. They're athletic on the wings. They can shoot with, you know, with Peterson. So it's, you know, Peterson always, I feel, I feel like he's a UCLA killer. He always does well against UCLA, even though last game he didn't. So I think it's one of those, it's a closer matchup than what you think. Plus it's a rivalry game, so it's always going to be somewhat close. Yeah, speaking of Drew Peterson killing the Bruins, he definitely did in the last game at Galen Center last season, February 12th, 2022, a 67-64 Trojans win. Peterson had a career-high 27 points and 5 blocks, added 11 rebounds to pace the SC team in that one. Reese Dixon Waters had 10 points, but the only other Trojan who scored in that game and is still on the team is Harrison Hornery, who made 1-3 in that game. Joshua Morgan didn't score in that game. Boogie Ellis had a horrible game, didn't score in that game. Tiger Campbell was awesome for the Bruins in that one, 27 points. UCLA was held to 30% field goal shooting while USC shot 47%, and yet the Trojans still only won by three in that one. So let's get right down to it, Travis. Who is winning the matchup on Thursday night and why? I think we we both know what's really going on here. I think uh, I think it's close, <laughs> but I think UCLA pulls it out. I don't think that they'll score 12 points and a half or basically 16 and a half. I want to say Amari Bailey comes back, but I'm not 100% sure. If he comes back, they're a different dynamic. But I think you said he wins probably 65 to 60, maybe 60. Yeah, 65, 60. Close game. But I think you said he figures out a way to pull it out. SC maybe takes a bad shot here or there, and then he ends up losing at the end. Yeah, with – Two coaches who stress the defensive end so much, it's kind of like a first to 60 wins the game. And I wish I could differ with you. I really want to believe that USC can win because USC desperately needs a big win. They have to, in my opinion, beat UCLA and or Arizona to really feel like they can make the NCAA tournament. They have the win against Auburn at home. That's their only real good non-conference win. They just come off of beating Arizona State on the road. Those are the two quad one wins that USC has. I don't think the resume is good enough without beating a UCLA or an Arizona. They'll have two more chances to try and pull that off. So they really need it. I think it's going to be a close one. I want to say SC wins, but I agree with you. I think UCLA ends up winning a close game at Galen Center. So for me, my final question is, do you think USC is an NCAA tournament team? I think it's going to be tough because I don't think the Pac-12 is seen as a very good conference this year, which hurts them. Well, yes, I think SC is a tournament team. I think if they can figure out a way to get to about 22 wins, I think they're in. Right now, they're around that you know, first four out, last four in range. But like you said, they they have to win one of those games against UCLA or Arizona, either in the regular season or the Pac-12 tournament. But uh, school from a Power 5 conference wins 22 to 24 wins. They always get in, from my knowledge. You know, maybe I'm wrong, but I think, I think SC is a tournament team. And not only that, I think they can make some noise. You know, I think they can win a game or two. 
But obviously, you know, it's a little bit down the line. But they need to start picking up wins. They can't be dropping game after game after game. So they got to start picking up wins. You're maybe a little more optimistic than I am. I've seen SC get screwed a couple of times in the last decade by the NCAA tournament committee. So I'm a little gun shy, especially when I thought those teams definitely deserve to be in. And this one I'm not so sure about. So we'll see how that goes. And it'll be a good one. They usually are between SC and UCLA. Galen Center will be rocking, hopefully, for the big Crosstown showdown. And again, you are listening to the Everything USC podcast. I'm Nara Wang. My guest today, the former UCLA Bruin and Long Beach State 49er player, Travis Reed. And, of course, you can catch us both on Believe Shows. You can subscribe, download, and rate them wherever you get your favorite podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, TuneIn, and more. Or you can go to the website, Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, on social media, at Believe Network and at Believe Sports. For me, I'm on Twitter, at Narawang Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Travis, where do the listeners connect with you? Yeah, pretty much you can connect with me on Instagram at Travis W. Reed. That's R-E-E-D, Travis W. And on Facebook, uh, Travis W. Reed. Not all together, obviously. But yeah, pretty much I post all my social media on both those sites. Hi, this is Mike Yam, studio host for Pac-12 Radio on Sirius XM Radio. And you're listening to the Everything USC podcast with Dara Wang, I believe. And finally, as I've been doing with all of my guests since the decision was made to move to the Big Ten by USC and UCLA at the end of June of 2022, that move will go into effect in 2024. When you heard that news come down, Travis Reed, how surprised were you that our two alma maters were leaving the Pac-12 for the Big Ten? Honestly, I was shocked. I think UCLA and SC is synonymous with the Pac-12. When I was there, Pac-10, it's just the Pac-12 ain't the Pac-12 without USC and UCLA, period. And for them to move to the Big Ten, essentially just for money, I just didn't think it was the right move. UCLA, SC is a big enough brand, and I get it. You know, like Pac-12 commissioner wasn't that smart, did some dumb moves. Pac-12 network was kind of dumb because everybody can't watch it. You know, like, I don't like the move at all. I just don't like the move at all because now you're you're going to the Midwest and East Coast. So, like, you're asking your fans, you know, and your alumni and things like that to go to Rucker or Maryland, you know. You know, not only going that, but going to Michigan and Michigan State, Ohio, and all these places to where, like, it ain't, that's not the Pac-12. You know, like, you used to sunny football for SC. Now you're in the Midwest cold. Yeah. And so I don't like the move. I don't like the move at all, to be honest. It's going to be an adjustment. And I think people just feel it's exciting because of these teams that you can play. And I think that's going to wear off, though. Once you're in the conference for a while, it just becomes a conference game. And now you're traveling that deep every year. And I think it affects the other sports more than football. Football is once a week. But as a former basketball player, if you got to go on a road trip to play Penn State and Rutgers, how are you doing that and balancing schoolwork off of Zoom and all of that stuff? Like, as a former player, what would you be thinking? I'd be thinking we basically became NBA team. 
<laughs> because, look, when you go to Michigan and Michigan State, you're not going to go there for one game, play Michigan, come back. You're going to go to Michigan to play Michigan and Michigan State. You're going to go, like you said, to play Ohio State and Rutgers or Penn State and this, you know, and Iowa. Like, you're not going to just go for one game and come back. So you're going to be gone. Like, when you're in the season in conference play, you're going to be gone for weeks at a time because you're going to be gone for a week every time you go out of town. So it's always going to be scheduled as two games where two teams that are close proximity. So Michigan, Michigan State, you know, Ohio State, Penn State, like whatever's close. So you're going to be gone a lot during the regular season. Yeah. You know, and not to mention Big Ten tournament, not to mention all this other stuff. So, yeah, I think, you know, UCLA and SC is Pac-12, but I see that it's going to be just like four super conferences because I don't think like college football is going to basically rearrange everything to where it's going to only going to be four conferences in college, like super conferences. It just is. Yeah, I definitely think, Travis, that football is headed towards super conferences. And so let's just get there and let's separate football from the rest of the sports so we don't necessarily have to have basketball and volleyball and tennis and water polo and whatever have to be in different conferences and all that kind of stuff. Let's just have football do its thing, be its separate whatever, so we don't have to have crazy road trips. Because again, it's one of those things where like they have the travel partners in the Pac-12, right? Where you go play the Washington schools, the Oregon schools, the Bay Area schools, Arizona schools, the Mountain schools. But those are quick trips. You can do the quick turnaround. You're not going to miss a ton of time away. But when you're going on those long trips across the country, and maybe they're going to try and cram in like two trips. So you're gone for maybe a week and a half on the road so you can get those trips in, and so you're just doing Zoom classes? I mean, I don't know. People have heard me rail on this podcast about NCAA leadership enough, so I think they know how I feel about that. In totality, finally, real quick, does the Pac-12 survive as a power conference without SC and UCLA? No. I think Oregon is a, a big brand, but it's not big enough to carry the conference by itself. The only way it survives is if in basketball, Gonzaga goes there. And in, in a football, I don't even know what, like, big mid-major team could go, you know, to the conference that make, you know, like, make them work. Because SC and UCLA carry the conference. It's like when Texas and Oklahoma leaves the Big 12. What is that conference going to be without Texas and Oklahoma, you know, when they go to the SEC? Yeah. You know, these other schools are good. You know, Baylor and all that, but they can't carry the conference. Oregon can't carry the conference. I mean, granted, I think they'll try to make it, but like, I just, I think in five years or 10 years, the Pac 12 is going to be something different than what you expected, or, or it's going to be disbanded because teams are just going to start picking off teams. Like, Oregon might go to Big 12, Washington, Washington State might go somewhere. You know, like, I just, it's going to be picked off. It's going to be a different thing when we get to it and we'll see and like you said it's all about money and that's why they did it because they wanted to make money and if that's the reasoning behind it then it makes sense because you're going to get more money being in the big 10 than you were in the pac 12 but in the end we'll find out how all of this goes down once sc and ucla move once texas and oklahoma move 
So, Travis, it's been fun talking to you on the show, kind of doing a little crossover episodes this week because of the SC-UCLA game, having you on the Believe in Everything USC podcast, and I'll be guesting on your Believe in UCLA podcast as well. So, Travis, always great to get to talk to you about all things SC versus UCLA. Thank you. I appreciate it for having me on. So, for my guest, Travis Reed, I'm Nara Wang. Thanks for joining us for Episode 76 of the Everything USC Podcast, presented by Bet Online on Believe, the number one content network for professionals, the place to find a sports or pop culture show for passionate fan bases across multiple platforms. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? And, as always, I end every show by telling you all to remember to fight on. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.